welcome to Darth Souls. It's episode number 40. Once you're over the hill, you pick up speed. Something to do with either rolling down a hill or taking drugs. Anyway, I'm joined today <laughs> by uh, Kesha McDonald. Hello. And Quentin Smith. Hello, everybody. Hello, hello. And uh, what a lovely day it is. The sun's been in the sky. Video games have been flying through the trees <laughs> and picking up small nuts from the ground. I've been playing Bloodborne. <laughs> That was beautiful. Sorry, let's go back. Just had to drop that in. We'll go back to Bloodborne. Bloodborne. Uh, I've also been playing Bloodborne. I've not been playing Bloodborne because I have run out of steam with it. And I feel like I'm the first person in the world, apparently, for this to happen to. Um, I'll get this out of the way so you guys can really excitedly talk. But I encountered a couple of things that really uh, messed up my character and my sense of involvement with the game. I got a really cool sword that required a lot of uh, blood tinge, which is the stat you usually use for guns. Blood ting. I blood, think it's blood, blood ting. ting. I got yeah. that. Oh, I've got mad. Of, I've got lots of that blood ting now, and no, that doesn't feel right to say. Uh, so I invested really heavily getting this really cool sword, all the blood ting, and then it's an awful sword. And I looked online, and there were loads of people going, "Oh yeah, this sword's bad," but I'm, that's very unlucky. It's kind of annoying, and it's led me actually down a rabbit hole of kind of looking at blood. But I still love it. It's still, obviously, beautiful game, masterfully crafted. Mm. But, um, do you remember how in Demon's Souls, like, that old attitude of, like, you can use any weapon and it's good. Yeah. You can use a bow and it's good. Sword and shield, good. Double-handed weapon, good. You can use magic, good. You can be a priest, good. In Bloodborne, it's I have no problem whatsoever with you using a gun and a weapon in your other hand. Great. I have no problem with the transformable weapons. But the magic feels not great. The investing in blood tinting doesn't feel quite great. I feel like it's possible to make mistakes with character creation, which isn't something I got from the other two games. It very much forces you down one path of fighting, which is be aggressive, be aggressive, be aggressive. And it's interesting because people who I know who've played Souls games tend to be quite defensive. With Souls, the, the general instinct is to walk into a room with shield up, right? Mm -hmm. And then just, and I know a lot of people who got, especially demons, which was vulnerable to this, they got through the whole of demons by standing very far away from everything and firing spells. <laughs> they kind of fixed that in Dark. I don't know if it's necessarily a problem either. No, it's not. It's just different ways to play it. Yeah, who don't, don't necessarily enjoy but if, action if, games. if you happen to be a Souls player who does like naked running around with a big sword and lots of rolling, then Bloodborne is very easy to get into. If you were a Souls player who was in Havel's armor with you know a massive shield and a big club, then getting into Bloodborne is, is considerably more difficult, I think. And I think you're right, it does, it does make you do a certain style of gameplay, which the Souls games didn't. But then it's different, isn't it? I think it's just a bit... Um, it's difficult because it's, it's not a Souls game. But it's come from like the DNA of the Souls yeah, game I think, so much. And I, I think this is it. It's much more thrilling kind than the Souls of, game. It is. I think it's really good, but I feel like you're probably right in the fact that I have just naturally focused in just being strong mm -hmm. and aggressive. And, and I was doing man. that, and I was having a great time. And yeah. then the moment I veered towards being a bit alternative, which the other games let you do, I found myself encountering these like vestigial limbs that Bloodborne really? still has yeah, some... Just, yeah, sorry, you just don't need all the stats, like basically. No. I thought that once you got to New Game Plus... Blood Tinge and some of the other, and the Arcane and some of the other stats would just reveal themselves suddenly. And you get to the point where it was like, oh, this is what this, this is for. But so far, that's not happened to anyone that I know. Mm -hmm. Like, it seems that there really are just. There's not much to do with them. No. I mean, I... basically, your, your deck. I mean, I always used to be a dex build in Souls. Which, yeah. is what I, which is one of the first of many errors I made with my character and found I categorically wasn't being rewarded for this thing that the game in past games had let you do. Yeah, I mean, I, I run around with the threaded cane, uh -huh, uh -huh. which is a dex. It scales with yep. your dex. I'm sorry, this is so nerdy. It scales with, <laughs> it scales with your with your skill. Stat, I guess the, the... And it's, it's so fun. I love that whip. It's so, so fun. Everyone else is running around with the Ludwig's Kirk hammer, mm -hmm. right? Um, wait, no, the Ludwig's, whatever it is. Uh, Ludwig's blade or the That's Kirk right, hammer. yeah. I, either one of those, you know. So, so big, either great sword or hammer, and I'm just there with my whip. And I'm running up to people in PvP with, like, a cane, and they're looking at me like, lol with their huge hammer and they take a swing and I just get my whip out and it's like foo, foo, and they're <laughs> flung off the end of something it's fantastic I, I love fooled it. you I fooled you twice <laughs> <laughs> shame uh, on you <laughs> but I think that for just people who are sitting there going well, what is going on um, I think the way to explain it is that um, in previous stuff like Dark Souls you could uh, invest in dexterity and then it would have like more advantages than just being good with certain weapon types. It would be like, you know, you'd be able to, you'd be better at like backstabbing and you'd be better at all this other stuff. And there was a, a wider variety of weapons to play with and there was a wider variety of play styles that it was well kind of tuned for. Bloodborne, again, I think it, it feels like, I wonder if it's maybe that, because 
The thing I forget is that the combat system in Bloodborne is really nice. So mm-hmm. good. So good. And I wonder if maybe they started building it with the building blocks of like Dark Souls, Demon Souls, and then they started working on the combat system and they just realised they weren't going to have time to yeah. do it for all of these different styles yeah, and honest, make it honestly, good. Honestly, the, the only... I mean, it had, there is one combat style in, in Bloodborne. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's just... It's, and I find it really thrilling and exhausting, actually. Like, the adrenaline is too much. Like, when you when you <laughs> play when I'm playing Bloodborne, I'm, I'm right on edge of everything and... You know, the way I play these games, I tend to get quite quite into them, <laughs> like like a lot of people. And I find it exhausting to play for too long because it's just on a minute to minute, second to second gameplay level, it's so much more thrilling than Souls Combat to me. Yeah, you know, you I know, don't think it is. The other thing that pushed me, um, I think, away from it uh, to the point where I'm at now, I think I'm about three quarters, maybe eighty percent of the way through, and I just can't be asked to finish it. Is that? I think I'm at the same stage. Yeah, but I can be asked. I will get there. I'm sure you will. But the um, <laughs> it's it's funny because it's so tense and you're so cautious, and then you have these moments of great excitement and elation as you run in and whip the shit out of the monsters, and then you're cautious again. And the moment I start losing patience with any Souls game, and as much as I do love them, um. As soon as I lose that patience, that like, okay, I just want this game to be over now, and I start running faster, I start dying more, I start having less of an interest in the combat, and the entire game falls apart because it requires, you know, just very, very, very cautious play. Yeah. I remember ages back you asked if I wanted to review um, the PC release That's of right, Dark yeah. Souls, the, and I and the definitive edition. Of I think I can think of nothing worse now than having to get through these games, which require you go Dude, through them slowly. I mean, Matt I'm and sure I talked, talked about this about before this, yeah. on the podcast, but the Dark Souls review experience ruined Dark Souls for me. I mean, it was also amazing. Like, it was amazing because we were the first people to be experiencing it, but it was fucking broken. <laughs> and uh, we had no help. And it was no just... No idea what we were doing. No idea what we were doing. And uh, the humanity, the system wasn't really in place yet. So we didn't know what to, how to summon. And we were all just working it out. And, and it was like playing a Souls game in a normal way, except with no option of help from anyone. We were just all relying on each other, and it was it was painful. I think one person in the entire world that I'm aware of managed to get past Ornstein and Smau in Dark Souls before review. <laughs> because, yeah, it was just... I mean, it wasn't balanced quite properly. And no, they made it place. a lot easier after launch. They did. Because I think they probably realised that reviewers hadn't yeah, got very far. And basically, the, curse, um, the cursing used oh. to stack. Like, now when you get cursed in Dark Souls, right, you can go down to a quarter of your health bar. It used to stack, so it would go down to then an eighth. And then at one point, I had a sixteenth of a fucking health bar. <laughs> I'm down in Ashen Lake, like, in tears, in front of this big dragon who lives in Ashen Lake. I'm down in Ashen Lake trying to get up that... Um, get up that tree oh that back bloody to the, tree and there's basilisks just dropping on me and I'm at 16th of a health bar and I, nothing I get hit once and I die and I, I nearly had to restart the whole game I had like one kind of yeah. anyway yeah so, so trying to review a Souls game I've never ever since I've been like I refuse to even touch a Souls game ever before launch because it did kind of ruin it it took me like a year and a half after Dark Souls came out before I finished it because I, I was what, though, so like traumatised by it it did sort of define the way I play those games because it was the first time I played them I hadn't played Demon Souls before I dabbled in Demon Souls but not very long Demon Dabbler Demon uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh but I it defined how I play them. And actually, when I played Dark Souls two, I actually did a lot more summoning, and I did a lot more like calling yeah. people in to fight boss fights. Mainly because a lot of the boss fights and that were cheap and annoying, and yes, I kind of got a bit God. fed up with it and wanted to get through it. But I still felt bad about doing that. And interesting with Bloodborne now, I think it's like because I was like raised in the fires of you do it on your own and you just don't do any of that stuff. And also for the same reason, I've never had in- any interest in the the multiplayer like the. The actual, PvP. Like, PvP stuff. I've never cared about it because in my mind, like when I was playing through Dark Souls, that just wasn't a part of it. Ah, uh, see, for demons, for me, that was like half the game. And demons did require a lot. Yeah. But like summoning in general. Yeah, but the thing is, it encouraged. I mean, all the Souls games do this. They're they're built to encourage cooperation, whether that's physically through getting someone into your game or through the messages or whatever. It's it's a communal experience. The game. So I played demons with on Japanese servers with lovely Japanese people, had a great time, and then when it came out in America, I imported it and got it and just got griefed constantly. <laughs> I was like, "You're not doing it right." You know, I, I like the funny. griefing though. I like the griefing, especially with the like the fake messages and oh, stuff. That's, so that's a good griefing, but bad griefing. Like on the there was this bug in the Tower of Latria, I think somewhere, where basically if you if you were a barbarian and you had that headbutt move. You could just headbutt people off the steps and catch them in a constant stagger until they were just like forced to go off the edge of the steps. I, that happened about six times in Tower of the Tree when I was playing demons on the. Oh, it was annoying. It does. That's bad griefing. It's not even funny. All of <laughs> what we're talking about with Bloodborne kind of like seeming like this entirely robust entity and then actually coming apart a tiny bit if you explore in the wrong direction. Yeah. Reminds me exactly of our experience of Destiny, now I come to think of it. The only two games I've got on the PS4 are these glorious, beautiful experiences that are so polished and then. You kind of poke them and you realise that there is just secretly 
secretly some unfinished stuff in the design. But we've got to say that actually the great thing about Bloodborne is that there's so much of the design elsewhere just really nails stuff which the earlier games just didn't. I, I feel like it's... Well, I still prefer... The reason I prefer... Dark, like I'll always love Demon's Souls because it was my thing. But like the reason I still slightly prefer Demons and Dark is because I prefer dark fantasy to horror. I'm having real trouble with the horror aspects and imagery. It like, is it's, it's scary. honestly giving me really bad nightmares. Really? I'm, a sens- I'm a sensitive soul. Yeah. The other, the other the other week when I when I was playing it for the first time, I managed about like three or four hours of it, and I honestly I couldn't sleep. I just had horrible stress nightmares all night with just dreadful. Like those messengers used to freak me out. I've got used to them now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but the messenger faces were like in my head, and I just oh it's terrible. It's actually funny. my partner in the middle of the night because he he got it. Um, he took a week off work to play it, and I, I couldn't at that point. So he was sitting in the hall playing it. He played it all in like seven days, and he, you know, he, he spent like 110 hours in seven days. It was crazy. <laughs> and um, at one point in the middle of the night, he kind of shook me awake in the middle of the night. I'm like, what? What is it? He's like, the arena. You got to stand to the other end of the arena. If you pick him off, like, if you pick him off one by one, then then they go. You got to get the fireball guy. And I was like, are you asleep? Are you talking? <laughs> Are you talking to me about Bloodborne boss strategies in your sleep? And Bloodborne like, spoilers. <laughs> and then he just kind of laid his head back down. And I'm like, yep, you weren't awake for any of that. <laughs> wow. Me awake in a Spoiling Bloodborne in his sleep. I know. It was great. I've, been, I've actually been loving the art design. I don't find it a horror game because I just feel too empowered a lot of the time. I think it has moments of uh, great horror where you encounter a monster for the I, first time. I do feel too empowered now, actually. That's a good thing because the load times, they've apparently patched out today, but the load times were a ball ache. And actually, I would say to anyone, if you're trying to play Bloodborne, do keep going it's probably easier now actually because if the blow times are a lot better it won't be such a pain but I was dying so much at the start but once I got the hang of it oh, and once I got some decent oh, weapons so- it's it's like I don't know I feel like a lot more powerful and actually I'm not cruising through the game but I'm like not struggling that much but it's still scary I've set myself two rules I'll tell you my two rules for playing Bulletbone one is I'm going to try and do the whole thing without summoning anyone else I'm trying to do it all on my own oh, um, no, no, no dude you've got to engage with the multiplayer you're no, not I like experiencing it. the whole that's fine I like the feeling of it just it's being me <laughs> and them and I don't know if I get really stuck I'll do it but I'm just trying to see how far I can get and the second thing is I'm playing it all with headphones. I'm playing it all with no. sound headphones. That is a great idea. Nope, I, too scary. I didn't really... I play it with Boards of Canada on Spotify. <laughs> no, I, I've heard people doing this, and I think that really ruins it. I can't handle it. It's too, it's too tense otherwise. No, that's fair. I mean, it is horribly intense, and the sound mix in that game is is incredibly well done, but it does make me jump out of my skin on quite a constant oh, basis. If, it, if, it, were, so if it were any other game, I'd have given up because it's too scary for me. But because So this is the beauty of a Miyazaki game, right? What you're talking about, feeling more powerful, feeling less afraid, that that dovetails so beautifully with the theme of the game. Like, do you know the story oh, yeah, of Bloodborne? Yeah, yeah. Not like, completely, yeah. Well, I mean, should I do this? Is this a huge spoiler? I guess so. I'll, 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 okay, I'll, I'll very briefly say that basically the story of Bloodborne involves people not being scared of things they ought to be scared of, right? That's basically the story. And then that goes horribly wrong for people. That's that's the underlying thing. That's pretty... I mean, even if you've been to Old Yarnum once, then you know that. Um, it's much more complicated. But the thing is that you as the player go through the same thematic journey where you start off terrified and you get to the point where you're actually really enjoying and reveling in the blood and in the stuff and you get to the point where you're not as scared of it as you should be and then uh, I just think it's it's so beautiful the way that the game makes you into the subject of its own story it's it's yeah. so good and then when you start diving into what the story means and stuff you realize that you've you've gone along the same journey as the people who are supposedly in the game and the other hunters that you meet and you've you've you you yourself in real life have gone through that and it's no other game has ever been done that that oh a few me. games have done that exact twist i don't know like I, i've not found that that anyone's actually affected me because the thing is it's usually so obvious isn't it like in far cry 3 i could definitely name a couple of very well-known indie games where that is the exact twist oh yeah all right fair enough but there I, are some something what i've I been find really... it very effective personally in bloodborne it's 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 a it's a well-picked I'd not call it a trope, but I think it's a well-picked story for Bloodborne to take. Um, but I think you're totally right about the sound design. But for me, what's been um, uh, twisting my nips is the art. Like, it's not a fantasy world we've been to before. That's all I really need from a game. Because it's not steampunk. It's not fantasy. It's this, like, Victoriana. Yeah. It's kind of like The Order. And that's just it's just a new place. Like, you go to, I don't know, the places in it, like, whether it's... The college or the city of Yarnum or the forest uh, where like the the ladies are yeah. like it's, oh my god it's that, Charnel Lane I wasn't gonna say all the single thing, ladies all the single ladies all the, so many single ladies in that area having a great time uh, doing it for themselves yeah. and uh, <laughs> and but like you go to these areas and it's just 
texture work is new. The ideas are new. Yeah. It's just, it feels fresh. The thing that I'm actually being blown away with is uh, when I was playing uh, Dark Souls, I, I, I found it frustrating sometimes because you, you'd hit a wall and you'd just be like, I can't do this boss. And then you'd have this sense of not really knowing what else you could do. And the thing about Dark Souls is there always was something else you could do. There was always another place you could be. But the problem was there was usually only ever about two different places you That's could what I found with Bloodborne. No, Bloodborne is way more open. I don't know, man. I'm like, I'm seriously. Almost, I've like, almost finished it, and there are well, pretty much two areas I should be exploring at any given I'm point. I'm sure it will, towards an end, it will get to a point where it's like, okay, there's only a few more things. But to begin with, like, there's so many things. Like, when I got to the Bloodstarved Beast for the first time, I was like, oh, this is too hard. And I was like, oh, well, there's that gate at the cathedral I can open. Yeah, those are the two ways. Time. No, but then, like, once I got through that gate, then there was then, like... A, a boss I could fight, or, or the... I could go down oh, to the right, or I could go down to the left, mm. and I didn't go to the place with all the single ladies for ages. <laughs> I could have gone ages ago, and then even then, like I, I know at the moment, I've still got some more stuff to do there. I've still got some more stuff to do back somewhere else, and then I was like, randomly, I was like, oh well, before I go to the next place I'm supposed to go to, I'll like, um, I'll go and explore around, and then I discovered like the. Like randomly when I was just going, oh, I wonder what's down there. Oh, I know what you're talking and about. And then found the doors that opened up to like an underground forest, like, yeah. and full of fucking snakes. And it's just like, the problem is, <laughs> I haven't felt lost. I've always felt like whenever I go, oh, I wonder what's over there. And I just go over there. And it, I always expected to do that thing of being like, oh, it's just a cave with one little treasure in it down that way. But then I go down that way and it's either a shortcut back to somewhere else I've already been or it's just this massive new place. I feel that one thing that's missing from Bloodborne is not necessarily a bad thing, but it doesn't have the kind of sense of humour that Souls sometimes no. has when it tries to trap. Like, Bloodborne is very serious. You know, oh, no, kind of... there was one bit, actually, that made me properly laugh yeah. out loud. And it was when I discovered a guy who was a very, very... It was the sort of thing where you see this thing and you're like, you really think it's a monster. And then you approach it very, very slowly and it won't lock onto it. And then I'm like, even until I'm like a few feet away from it, I'm still walking like super slowly, ready to like fight. <laughs> and then I let it talk to this, this guy who's not a monster, but he looks like a monster. And he just goes, oh, God. You terrified me. <laughs> There's monsters around here, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like... That's good. It was, it was brilliantly funny. I'm just being like, yeah, you know there's, exactly There's nothing like the mimic chests, though. You know, like for me, I still can't get out of the habit of hitting. They weren't scared. They weren't funny. They were terrified. They're, they're hilarious, though. It's like, oh, yeah. Oh, you think it's a chest, and then how it's not you, a chest. How are you? That's the scariest thing in all of Dark Souls. It's not scary. It's terrifying. I don't find them scary. The I mean, I've never terrified actually, I don't think anyone's actually. Has one ever killed no, you? No, no, oh, I've no problem with them. They, they have the single grossest, like, it's Last oh. of Us level disgusting. I did actually see a YouTube video of someone getting When it happens to you and you forget, it happened to me when I was doing the. When we did the Dark Souls 2 Pants Man run through for charity with uh, Bratters, Bratters had gone to the toilet or to get tea, I can't remember. And I forgot that there was one of the chests which was a mimic chest, and I just forgot it was a mimic chest. And I went to open it, and it just did that thing of just eating you and spitting you out. And then it was just like the horror of it. Gosh. It see, does... I never thought they were funny. No. <laughs> with their big lolly tongues. No, you see, they're funny once they're moving yeah, around. They're up and around yeah. But when, when they first get you, it's the fact that they. They get you and they take you down to hardly any health, or they just outright kill you because they do a huge amount of damage. So they mess you up, and then suddenly you like just want to run away, and your instinct is just like, I need to get away from this. And then, oh shit, it's like got like seven foot long legs, yeah. and it's like this gangly thing. <laughs> and that's like the what the one thing you don't want is something that can chase you. And then it's like, oh, it can chase you. And it's not actually very dangerous at that point, but the damage is already done in terms of making you really scared. <laughs> oh. That's strange. I was never. I mean, I was scared by Dark Souls, but not like I'm scared by Bloodborne. Like Bloodborne, I find disturbing. You know, Dark Souls is scary, but Bloodborne, I find really. I mean, in a good way. Like it's. It's. I think it's. It's. It's disturbing on lots of really interesting levels. I but think, even just visually, I find like some of the the blood's too much and all this kind of. Honestly, thing. like my favorite thing about Bloodborne is seeing a new enemy, then hanging back, kiting it for a while, and just looking at what the artists and the animators have done with it because they're all just so wrong they're never really scary because you have one means of interacting with them which is hitting them in the head till they die like if Bloodborne had enemies you couldn't kill it might be, qualify as a horror game for me but it's like everything in that game is meant to die by your hand so it's only ever like an but obstacle but on the other hand everything me. in that game is trying to kill you and can yeah but it's but it's still a game you know it's still structured that, like you are supposed to kill everything except for the bosses which you know you're going to die by because they're a boss and you can't leave I think it handles a bunch of stuff really well I like the way that you can there's like <sighs> 
they've kind of made it so going away and grinding up a little bit and collecting some, you know, some like blood tolls or whatever so you can level up your character. In Souls, that always just felt cheap because it just felt like you knew what you were doing. You were just purposefully repeating be, something. You can always be torn to shreds by a dog in Bloodborne, yeah. no matter how good you are, how good level you are. it's more that, like, because you need blood vials, because it has that thing of being, like... Oh, know, yeah, you, you do can need to go back anyway. So it means, actually, you often... It's not a bad idea when you run out to just go back to an earlier area. But the, what well, I like stuff is... changes as well. They make things yeah. change. Things change. So you go back to old areas, things aren't the same. Sometimes it catches you out really nasty surprises of things that have changed. Oh, oh my God. Yeah, I'm I not going to spoil it. We're thinking the same thing. Yeah, but Jesus Christ, <laughs> that's the most frightening thing that a game has ever done to me. Um, I would say, actually, if you are intrigued by this, but you're probably not going to play Bloodborne, um, I, my, my series I'm doing at the moment, which is kind of a weekly series of me playing through Bloodborne, it's not like a let's play, it's like little clips of me doing stuff and talking about how I'm getting on, is basically just cataloguing my very slow decline into madness and crying because it's a horrible, <laughs> frightening game. I'd recommend watching it. It's pretty entertaining, even if you're not going to play the game. Um, but yeah, it's just horrible, and it does so many horrible things to you. But I like that when you go back to the earlier levels to collect like some potions and stuff so you can continue with the game, you then you do go, oh, I didn't go down there. And it's actually the, like backtracking is much more richly rewarded. There's so many little things that you miss and... Um, whenever you go back to an old area, you find something that you you didn't notice before, even if it's a shortcut or anything. It's a it's a world that really rewards exploration in a way that um, Souls games didn't do as well in the past. And I also like the fact that it doesn't have the whole you know obtuse thing of being like oh you know you have to get more potion slots and then upgrade your potions. It's just like you have twenty potions and and I think it's a very stripped down combat system. Mm. Ultimately, it's it's very. Uh, the regain system, you know, when you get hit, you can regain your health by yeah. just getting in there. It encourages, and there's a fantastic quote in the, you know, the the one and only pathetic wooden shield that you find in the game. Yeah. And it says in the item description, shields are nice, but not when they engender passivity. <laughs> and like that is like, yeah, because the the one problem that Souls had is that it, you know, I I'm guilty of this as anyone, but you you can become a very passive player of it. Yeah. Um, and Bloodborne just doesn't allow that. It forces you to engage. Which I really, really like. I really like it. I think it's so good. It's, but it's so frightening. It is, I wish it wasn't so yeah. scary. No, I don't wish it wasn't so scary. I just wish I wasn't such a complete wimp. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrifying. And it is. But it does have those moments. I think my favourite thing about it, though, actually, is that it's a lot more frugal with the moments when it really dicks on you just because it can. Yeah, I mean, it does it. Like, it's, there's no sense fortress in it. No. I was, try- I was trying to explain to someone the difference between, like, Souls and Bloodborne thematically. And for me, it's sense fortress. Like, that's... It doesn't ever do that to you. Like everything feels more, it feels more real in Bloodborne as well. It feels like it may actually have happened. <laughs> Why don't you explain Sen's Fortress for the people who oh. have not been lucky enough to so, experience that particular level? Sen's Fortress is a bit about you know just before the probably half about the halfway point of of Dark Souls where. It is just a huge, great booby-trapped castle, right? It is like a and castle from a Scooby-Doo cartoon. It is, yeah. Like, like the, the with the swinging thing, yeah, guillotine. The first thing you see is sides, a big bridge right. with swinging sides going back and forth, and you have to dodge past them. And, of course, there's an enemy at the end who throws things at you. And then the thing is, the higher up you get, those swinging sides, there's more of them, and the bridge becomes tiny. Oh, yeah. And I it's just like, that. And you get to the top, and the bridge is like a centimetre wide, and there's 20 blades and, like, three magic guys, and you're like, oh, come on. It you is know? that thing of... And um... it is funny, though, when you die, it's like, oh, God. And also there's traps everywhere, like, in that... Yeah. There's, you know, you step on something, you hear a creak, and you're like, oh, and then you get hit by <laughs> five arrows, and that doesn't happen in Bloodborne ever. It's very... It feels much more tense. And much there's more, a like, lovely real. trap in Bloodborne, which got me, because it, I did the traditional thing of setting off a trap and then running back to the place where I thought I'd be safe, because... Oh, I, I know the one you're talking about. in the Forbidden Forest? Uh, I can't remember exactly where, I, where it was, but it was great, because it just, it just basically dicks on you it's like uh, you thought you were going to be safe there but you're not safe there and <laughs> in fact that's the one place where you're not safe the thing and- about that thematically like everybody in the forbid- where it was they're all trying to protect themselves against what's trying to get in so all those traps made sense whereas in Dark Souls it's like these are just here to stop you from getting to the top of this tower because it's funny <laughs> I don't know just the pacing it's really fantastic as well when you get to old Yarnum and there's a crazy hunter like shouting at you saying don't come here oh, like you know man. it's like every time I enter a new area it's not just being like oh this is a new area it's like it really feels like I've become really where obsessed am I? with the lore of it as well see I haven't touched that yet because I'm not that far I've just killed um, the witches of Yarnum okay and I'm wandering about the now no I haven't done the shadows yet the witch the witch, yeah. yeah. So I haven't got that far. I need to. I don't know where I'm going next. Oh man, in fact. I, I had it slightly spoiled for me because we had an article on on Kotaku 
from Rich Stanton, who's like one of the souls experts yeah. of all time. He's he's wonderful. And he wrote basically he he pieced together Bloodborne's story and lore from my own descriptions and from what happened. And he just pieced the whole thing together, like three thousand five hundred words, like this is what is actually going on in Bloodborne. And so I had to edit that and I had it slightly spoiled for me, but I actually find that it's greatly enriched my enjoyment of the game. Knowing thematically what's going on when when I'm doing well, I'm I'm like that though. I like I like that kind of thing. So yeah, I, yeah. I didn't feel like I was spoiled. I actually feel like it's enriched my enjoyment of the game. But I think if you're playing Bloodborne, or if you finished it, definitely go have a peek at that Oracle or a bunch of other lore stuff because it really, for me, it just really heightens everything in that game's working towards these very specific thematic things, and it's just. I, yeah, I just love it. It's really good. I have always been slightly bugged by the fandom around the Souls game of trying to piece together, if only we knew what was in Miyazaki's head, because those stories are not complete. They're not meant to be complete. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. That's what makes them so good, though. It's know? what makes... And it, I think people who appreciate Souls lore are the kind of people who appreciate ambiguity. I, I'm... Maybe. Or I, when I read these articles or see these YouTube videos, sometimes I look at it and it's, it's also people saying that, like, more willing to make leaps of logic when that stuff isn't necessarily there in the game. It's like, oh, of course, A leads to B because that's what makes sense. When oh, this the conspiracy designers, theory. Yes, when does it, like, it, uh, the conspiracy theories are sometimes indistinguishable from what the designers actually intended. And I thought I, that particularly with Dark Souls 2 where I completed it and thought, and then sat and watched <laughs> at, like 25 minutes worth of Varty video videos, which are great, Varty videos are really good um, of him like explaining what he thought the story of Dark Souls 2 was and what the lore was. And after watching that, I thought, yeah, that makes sense. That's fantastic. But I have to remind myself that it's like, no, that's that's Varty's story. <laughs> like, yeah. this, like, is, <laughs> this is where it gets some... Um, this is where I think like Games Press in particular is in a really interesting place because... We've always wanted our games to be art, games to have meaning, and games to be rich, deep experiences, and yet we need to develop the critical language to be able to judge these pieces of art as, like, art, right? So, like, I think we... I think the games press sometimes has difficulty distinguishing from something like, for example, Braid, which I think is open-ended and obviously an incomplete story, but is okay, and you can draw your own interpretations from that, versus games that are just... I'm not saying the Souls games are this, but I guess sometimes games might be unfinished, or like in an enormous 300-person dev team where one person doesn't necessarily have control. Means that he does have control need. of everything. Yes, he literally sits with every single character. Yes, player. but I'm not entirely. Con- mm. He's one of the only auteurs left. Like, if you ever see, oh man, I wish I could just watch him work for a month. But I if, do basically love. Miyazaki. But I mean, if this is the case, like, I mean, you played Dark Souls too. It's clear that Dark Souls Two wasn't Miyazaki. It well, no, it wasn't. He was busy being a billboard. I don't know. That's why Dark Souls 2 sucks! I don't know, man. If you're an auteur with creative control over an IP, I don't think you necessarily let that go, especially when it's internally. He had to. He had to. Basically, he was was making Bloodborne, right? And Namco Bandai owned Souls. And Namco Bandai were like, we want another Souls. And that ended up happening with... I mean, Miyazaki wasn't like completely uninvolved, but he certainly wasn't sitting by the... And you can tell with Dark Souls 2, you can tell in everything about that game that there wasn't that kind of authorial vision. And the thing that's interesting is when you get to the DLC of Dark Souls 2, it's like the team finally learned... Souls, because I think the DLC for that game is better than anything in the actual game, and you can see they're, kind of, heard, yeah. they're like learning Souls as they go along, and by the time they get to the DLC, they've kind of got it. You know, if they, if they had had Miyazaki sitting there, they would, you know, they would have been a very different game. But it I've got to say though, actually, one of the things that I don't particularly get on with is the fact that all of the lore and all of the story for these games, apart from in Bloodborne, which does actually, I like the fact that it does actually like feed you, like even if it's a very light story, it actually gives you some just for people who play it. But so much of the stuff in Dark Souls and Demon's Souls was like written in item descriptions. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to just sit and read all that. And I was yeah, like, Blood that's Blood not... Yeah, better, I think, in that respect. Yeah. It makes you feel more involved with the world. Like, I didn't feel really connected to, in that way, in the way that I feel connected to Bloodborne having, you know, played it and also looked into the what went on there. I feel more connected to, to like, the human story of it. Like, Dark Souls had a very kind of esoteric, dark fantasy, like, very weird, not very human story at all. Whereas Bloodborne has a story about actual people and what happened to them, which I think is... That is true. I do think it's an absolutely insane restriction to have placed on a writing team of having to tell tell a story like 90% through the descriptions of things the character can pick up. Not because like... I mean, isn't that ridiculous? Especially when the character can only pick up things that are useful in fights. Like an entire story told through swords, shields, potions... (laughs) 
and what the writing team are able to fill in those two tiny paragraphs. Oh, be fair, buckets. Bloodborne has at least six small bits of text. That is that is true. <laughs> Characters who are being willfully mad when they describe those, them as those well. Are good, but the item descriptions, I will regularly... Um, I read the through, item descriptions yeah. of everything in Bloodborne. I think that writing it. is absolutely fantastic. There's that bit when you get like a, a big like a big man, not a madman's knowledge, one of the souls, like the, the cold blood, right? You get a really big one. It's like, this artifact comes from mind teetering on the very brink, but then has a sane mind ever produced anything of true significance that's madman's knowledge yeah the thing that you use to increase your so good love it love it i do fangirl out a bit about miyazaki you know what i think it is cool i mean even (laughs) stuff like you know stuff the fact that you have this thing called madman's knowledge and you don't it gives you it's always in really funny places like on a beam (laughs) it's always often in really dark it's always in people's bodies yeah it's always often in very dark places and i've noticed what's really lovely about it is there are areas where you get lots of madman's knowledge often ones that are like really harrowing or really weird places yeah yeah, this idea that people have died with too much knowledge in their mind and they've left behind this fragment that you can take oh, and, and then the, add and to the yourself. Insight, the, insight. Just, the fact that they call it insight, <laughs> it's like you're just becoming somebody else then, who knows too much about the And the, the fact world. that the, the difficulty stacks with insight and the fact that, like, oh, it's... it's Loads of stuff happens. And I, I, I wouldn't even want to spoil that because I don't know much about it and I'm enjoying just going along and just, like, I've just ramped it up. I've just eaten all of it and I'm just like, let's have as much madness as possible and see what happens. Um, it's a great game, it really is. And I think it's a lot more accessible than Souls because of the fact that there is only one play style on the way. Like, if you're a Souls veteran, that's a bit of a disappointment. But yeah. actually, it means if you're just somebody who plays action games, you can just get stuck into it. You don't have to worry so much about upgrading things in different paths and all no. that kind of thing. It doesn't really happen. And there are less weapons. It's like it's not like in yeah. Souls when it's like, it's oh, well, you want to do a speed run through to this bit so you can get this weapon and then yeah, yeah. just upgrade that. Even the fact that it's quite liberal with... I like the upgrade stuff that you need to upgrade weapons so you can happily be upgrading two or three weapons at once just from what you're collecting everywhere. It's just in many ways, like, I mean, obviously there are exceptions in the fact that, you know, it led Quinns to get loads of blood tinge. Yeah. Um, but generally speaking, especially in the early stages, it just does seem to nudge you towards going, just have some more strength and dex. Go on, put some more strength and dex in. Like, just making sure that you're not going to go too far off piste. Um but no, it's, it's very cool. I'm looking forward to playing more of it because I've heard that in the latter half of the game it just completely goes off the yeah. rocker. I'm very near the end now and unfortunately the last area is horrifying. <laughs> it's, it's, too, it's too much for me, actually. I think so it's going to frame me because my headphones rule is difficult sometimes and there are, there are sections of my Bloodborne Diaries series where I'm either ill or quite hungover. And it's, it's like the... It's just too much. <laughs> and honestly, I recommend if you really can't deal with it, recommend Boards of Canada to all listeners who just can't quite deal with the tension. It does help. If, if you listen, you can just hear the sound designer from Brom Software <laughs> crying audibly out from Japan. Well, only after you've tried it a few times and it's too much. I would say it's sure. like a... It's Once like, you've experienced yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, when, when I'm going back to an area, I mean, like, when I'm somewhere new, I don't, I don't put that on. Because I couldn't. If we are done with Bloodborne Chat, it's something I played that has amazing music recently that you mentioned before the podcast, which is... Ooh, Westerado, Cowboyana. Westerados? Cowboyana is a messed up is a mess off game, which is actually amazing. And Westerados. Uh, is this like Westerados is a new indie release. It used to, it was initially funded by Adult Swim um, as a browser game, and it was popular enough that the entire release was funded. You said you played this? No, I only downloaded it. Oh, okay. Read a couple oh. articles about it. It looked awesome, well, so I downloaded it. Okay, I'll get to the music in a second. Then this will be a very short conversation as I describe <laughs> it. So it's a top-down Western game. You move around with like WASD or uh-huh. a, hopefully a controller. Was massively pixelated, and you're a little cowboy, and you have the ability to draw a gun and shoot and put put it away, and that's your only means of interacting with the world, really. And then it is basically it's, it's I yes, we'll get to this. <laughs> So it's Red Dead Redemption, basically. And you wander around and you talk to little pixelated people and um, you're looking for the person who killed your dad. There are actually four characters so you can play through the game in the same world with four different perspectives in what I presume is the same story. Are they all looking for the person who killed their dad? I don't know. I've only unlocked the first. (laughs) I'd like it if they were. Uh, But this is the thing. (laughs) It turns out the same person killed all of them. The thing that surprised me, I was like, okay, I'm down for a Western game where I shoot a gun. But it is massively, massively self-aware. Like all the yalls and like references to ah, are you the guy who had his dad killed? Like it's, it's like a western written by people who hate westerns but love them at the same time. Aww. And then during any conversation, do you remember in um, Mass Effect how uh, you can occasionally get renegade triggers to just hit someone, or like paragon triggers to stop someone from doing something in yeah. combat? Yeah. In this, you have one thing you can always do in combat, which is the button to draw your gun is always still available. 
so you just can be talking to anyone and there's a nice little dialogue tree for every single one of the like dozens and dozens and dozens of NPCs in this beautiful pixelated world. You can always in the mid conversation just pull your gun, and they always do different things. And like you, so you can you can play it really nicely. You can be a nice cowboy and do the nice quest, and, and then pull your gun. And then just pull your gun. <laughs> but in my case, I entered a town, and um, like a woman says that your introduction to the system is a woman going, "Can you go to the saloon and get my drunk husband back?" So I go talk to the husband. He's like, "I'm not going home." You try talking to him again, and he goes, "I'm not going home." You try talking to him a third time, and you pull your gun, and he's like, "Whoa, I'll go home." And you walk him home. So you're like, "Oh, pulling your gun can have effects." And I go to the uh, the sheriff, who's a deadbeat. This guy needs to put his act together. He's Fuck not doing anything. So I start talking to him and I pull my gun and he just goes, do you think anyone's going to miss me? But you can oh, still no. kill anybody. Like, and actually, this is where, this is the single thing that I'm in love with. You're looking for the guy who killed your dad, right? He's in the world somewhere. You don't know who he is, but your reward for doing quests isn't experience points or anything. You just get a hint about him. He wears this kind of hat. He has these trousers. He has this mask. So all you're trying to do, the whole purpose of the game... Guess who? Guess who? Just guess who? And you can kill anyone! <laughs> so you just Should try to find the guy and kill, kill him. everyone. Well, if you're a prick, yeah. It's well. like, like like in original Fallout, I've heard, when you go into a town and accidentally upset someone and you just end up in a shootout with the entire town by mistake, that can happen. It's like I always say, if you want to make an omni-omelette, you've got to break all of the eggs. Every single egg <laughs> in the West. Yeah. It's an omni-omelette. Are you but like the guy who played Red Dead Redemption and killed... Horses for fun. No, I did. I didn't. My Although I did have. My horrible housemate um, did that to my horse. I did have an exception in multiplayer. I was awful. I was shooting um, because I realised it was really funny to be riding along with your friends in tandem and then just turn around and shoot one of their horses in the head <laughs> and they just fly off their horse. And if you did it like when they were going towards a cliff or a bridge, they just fly off a cliff. It's so funny. So the last thing I'll say about Westerado. Am I getting that right? Westerados, I think. Westerados. I keep thinking. I keep like, thinking it's Westeros. Yeah, it's same. Not. I'm thinking. I want. Yeah. A, I want a game which is like Westeros and Desperados. Oh, I would play. <laughs> just like, I would play this game in West where you can just stab anyone or draw your sword. No, no, I'm just thinking it's like Game of Thrones, but everyone has six shooters. <laughs> Westeros, so... Western I really would love an open world Game of Thrones. Can you imagine? Like, if Witcher 3 was just a Game of Thrones game, I'd be so... It's not so far off. That. Actually, I'll tell you what it's I've been playing. Oh, oh, let me say the very last oh, yeah. sorry, thing, because yes. the only reason I brought this up is the music. It's got, like, I think a six-piece uh, band. Like, so, you know, harmonica, violin, guitar... Like, all this stuff. Um, so while it's pixel as anything, it's just actual band music. And it's those people playing through the, throughout the whole game. Like, they have God knows how many tracks for God knows how many areas. But, like, in the initial title sequence where it's like, Westerado is designed by this person, art by this person. And then it lists the band. Like, it lists all yeah. six members, all six and musicians. All and then you, And so it's like, this guy's on harmonica. And you're like, oh, that's cool. And then... I tell you what, you notice those instruments for the whole game. It's, it's incredible. Just music put front and centre in an indie game like that. Hmm. Like... It's 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 really really nice. Really That's cool. Nice. Well, I was just thinking because talking about like um, Westeros and all that stuff, I've been uh, going back and playing some of The Witcher Two, which oh, is really? a game which I played up until near the end of the first chapter of that game, like ages ago. And then I was on 360, and then I got it on PC again and played again. They're that classic <laughs> thing that people do up to the same point oh, and then stopped. Did you at least do the... Because the, there's that great pitched battle and you can join either side. Yeah. Did you join the different side at least? Uh, I didn't actually get to the... See, what I didn't remember is basically... It's not really a big spoiler, but at the end of the first act of The Witch 2, you kill a big monster. Oh, yes. I'm really sorry if I've ruined that for you. <laughs> but In a you, game where you play a monster killer, you kill a monster. Listen, it I is a just, really big monster. I can just apologise. Uh, but no, It's a really big monster. But this time, I think because I've played it a bit before... I just jump back into it to kill the monster. And what I did last time is I always quit after killing the monster and realising that Why? Actually, it's like, that's just when, that's the most exciting point know. of the game. I think the problem is that my in my head went, yeah, that's a good point to take a break now and then never went back. Yeah. Failing to realise that actually if I just hung in for a little bit longer after you kill the monster when you expect it to all wrap up neatly, things kick off mm, and then you yeah. get a brand new hook that you, you Oh get. yeah, immediately. Yeah, and because I never got the hook before. But you know what? That game does the same thing uh, that I was just saying about in Westerados where your reward request is only ever just like pieces of a greater puzzle. I love in that first act of um, The Witcher 2 where you show up and then all you're doing is receiving information on how to kill this giant monster. Yeah, like, yeah there's a lot of that in The Witcher 3 I hear. Oh yeah, which is good. Like a lot of tracking. It's, well, I mean, I played like five hours of it. And there's a lot of tracking and finding info before you can even get it's there. It's so like, much fun because it means yeah. you have this task on the horizon. It's yeah, like, yeah. imagine, hypothetically, the equivalent thing in Budborn would, I guess, be if you are receiving clues about the boss you're about to fight. That would be good. Yeah, like if you, I don't know, so, uh, the, the if you, I ask you two to imagine the first boss, if there were signs of that boss, if you were able to see it, if you are able to see perhaps glimpses of how it fights and stuff, 
before finally arriving on it. That would be a wonderful kind of evocative uh, technique for a game to use. But I know I'm super late to the table for uh, criticism about The Witch 2. <laughs> criticism. Yeah. I'm not even just like, that game's pretty good. It's well. pretty good, right? And I, I want to keep playing it because I'm kind of, like, I'm enjoying it. But a couple of criticisms about it. Here we go. Um, it really annoys me. And this is one of those <laughs> weird things where I don't mind it when games don't take themselves seriously. But The Witcher 2, like, often breaks its own reality does it yeah How? there've been like two or three points where they've made explicit jokes about lord of the rings books oh really and uh. it's like the lord of the rings books don't exist in this world it's a different world you should tell the developers that you should write them and that and i think it's like it's clearly a thing that when the script writers are writing the script for the game they feel oh this is pretty funny there's i, th- I, I like might be making this up but i think the bard is like yes i'm the bard kind of thing and it's like well yeah. the books themselves i really don't are... like the voice actor for the bard either like the american voice actor it's just like it's a weird thing of all the voice acting is pretty good and then you've got tris marigold who's like your love interest and then the bard who are both like super squeaky clean Americans and their voices just do not fit into the world at all. Everyone Especially else a role with like a lot of racism and sort of like class inequality. It's full yeah. of regional accents from England and like Scotland and, and then it's like, hey, hey, hey the Witcher, how are you doing with your quest? Yeah. And it's like, who the fuck are you, man? That is weird, yeah. Um, so much that I'd be really tempted to put it in Polish with subtitles just because I'm like, I don't want to hear your voice. Oh, why haven't you done that? That would be re- I played, um, uh, what was it called? Endless? No, not Endless. Um, I'm looking at Kaza because I feel like you can help me out. Oh, Xbox game, Endless Odyssey? Lost, uh, Odyssey? Lost Odyssey. There we go. I played Lost Odyssey in Italian and it was awesome because everyone looked weirdly <laughs> tan and Mediterranean. Yeah, he did. Very Mediterranean stuff. Yeah. I love that game. But um, it made it, it, it drew me into the world. It, it was as if they were, this is lame, it was as if they were talking Elvish and that tells you how much I know about Italian. That's, that's <laughs> kind of why I liked playing The Witcher. I played the first Witcher with Polish with subtitles and actually I probably, I need to do it in The Witch 2 because it is it's a bit more work with reading, but actually it's just so much better. I class- find it too distracting because I'm trying to work out the grammar of the language. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's really annoying. That's your fault for speaking multiple yeah, probably just, That's a, probably a problem that's quite exclusive to you. <laughs> it does remind me, though, of the, it reminds me of the anime thing where you watch anime in Japanese and it seems so evocative and like wonderful. And, and then come, there's a pinch point where you learn enough about Japanese and then you go, oh, no, this is as sort of ridiculous really over banal, the top yeah. <laughs> as American voice acting it's just it's in another language so I don't notice and it just seems like they're all great I can imagine yeah. they're all great but one of the things I would say is like I'm really hoping that Witcher 3 like it's just a bit less shonky because I love it Witcher 2 is so good nah it's a bit shonky yeah that's probably because you're playing it about six years late yeah probably but uh, <laughs> no I still think that like, it looks fantastic I'm playing it six years late yes but I'm playing it on a decent PC and it looks it still looks gorgeous that's cool and a lot of it is still really good. But just sometimes, and it's, I think it's just to do with the, the, the amount of content. Sometimes the way stories are told in cutscenes. And it's just like, it's like in, all in engine. But sometimes just the execution of it can be a bit shonky. Like there's a bit where a significant character gets poisoned. And the way it was done was just like, that was really weak. <laughs> it's just like, just the use of camera angles and stuff. You can tell it's one of those things where it just feels like it's a bit like, it, there's, a, there's an art to the world. But in terms of how... Um, things are like framed and stuff and in terms of how things are like um, shown to you. In terms of cutscenes and how the story is, this is, yes, this is the same game which uses like women as transparent sex objects. Yeah. And there I mean, is an like, amount of like, yeah. I it's mean, like everyone has ident- an identical bosom in that game. You know, I assume they all get them from the same shop. Um, it, <laughs> but it's this thing of like, um, yeah, so it's like, the, it's visually like on a, on a fidelity, fidelity level, on a graphical level, it's beautiful. But there's, um, sometimes it feels like it's lacking a bit on an artistic front outside of just like visual fidelity mm-hmm. and I just think it's it's not bad because I get that in many well that's not an excuse for the identity bosoms but <laughs> in terms of the, the way that the, yeah, in terms of the way that the quests work it's like there's so much stuff going on and it's so generous with how stuff happens like at the end of Act 1 you know you get to make a choice between what you want to do I, I, I made my decision and I wanted to go off with the people who are maybe seen as being the bad guys, but I kind of like the cut of their jib a bit more. Well, yeah, they're right. I mean, it's, it's categorically a world without bad guys. Everyone just has political sure. views, which is really nice. But and what, actually quite common in Eastern European fantasy, as I understand yeah. it. Yeah, but what I loved about it was that I then I yes. then saved the game and Northern I loaded European it too. just because I realised that I then thought, well, actually, I want to just go and talk to that guy to see what the other option was. And then I did it, and it wasn't just another option. It was like... The two were combined. You couldn't choose. You couldn't choose to do the mission and then not leave with them. But it actually had this full assassination mission where I got to kill a character who I really hated. And I had this weird thing of then I then went and did this mission, killed this character, had this amazing little plot arc, and then loaded my game because I thought, well, I don't actually want to go with this guy. I'm not sure. I I just enjoyed doing it so much that it was like, wow. I've not encountered a game that's more 
like generous and financially insane yeah. than The Witcher 2 in, in terms of how the plot branches is and the sheer quantity of content you cannot see. Yeah, it's yeah. It's 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 it's, it's so it would never be made by a non-independent studio, put it that way. Yeah. There's I'm no excited way. for The Witch 3, though. I just, I, oh, I think... I'm so excited for it. I've got to finish Bloodborne before it comes out, otherwise Bloodborne will just hang in the balance for... Well, that's why I'm trying to play... Months. I'm trying to get through The Witch 2, because I sort of thought, actually, you know what? Like, I get... I miss, look, I missed Dragon Age Inquisition, all right? I missed it. It's never going to happen. It's dead. It's gone. <laughs> I'll never play yes, it. That ship has sailed. It's gone. So, I was thinking I might go back when it has a load of DLC, but it doesn't seem to have had, like, a particular, like, resonance within... The critical I think, community I, I think it maybe came out at a time when a lot of stuff was out and everyone was it's tired. Christmas. It was exhausting. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I just, I know I don't know. people who spent 120 hours on it and who love it passionately. Mm. But they're mostly people who uh, don't work in games. Yeah. I, there I, isn't I, time for that. I've yet to hear the hook that says, you can do this in Inquisition and I'll go, oh shit. I'll I think it. the problem is, is it's all story stuff. And I think lots of people I've spoken to love it, but they don't want to tell me why because it's all to do with like, <laughs> that is a problem. Yeah. It's all to do with the story. And I think that's a, a big problem for some games. I, I, I still haven't played it and this is a part of the problem for it, but I think Brothers is one of those games and I haven't played oh it. Oh my God, you have to play Brothers. I know. Brothers. Really should play Brothers. All anyone tells me is you have to play it. You have to play it, Matt. I know. But that's why myself, like millions of other people, haven't played it because it's the difficulty. And I, I'm not saying it's good or wrong, but when you have a game where all you can say is, okay, you have no, to play I'll it. Sell it. I'll sell you on it right now. I'll sell you and all the people at home who haven't played Brothers because all they've heard is, you have to play Brothers. I've got it. I just haven't a chance. Here's why you should play it with no spoilers. It offers a particular kind of fantasy, which I've not seen games do. It offers a very grim fairy tale fantasy. You're not some warrior killing goblins. You are progressing through a fantasy realm that is so magical and so strange that you and often you because you're you're very much the stereotypical protagonist in this story because often your only means of interacting with this stuff is you, you're just kids you, you creep past things you get through things with blind luck you fluke your way into situations where you categorically should not be and still get out in one piece it's incredibly exciting and you have no idea what's around the next corner yeah, yeah that's, that's the main thing I would say is that you, you just have no idea at any point what's going to happen next and that's so rare yeah it's 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 yeah it's, I mean it's, 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 it's actually a lot of what's kind of pushing me away from Inquisition really it's like I feel I feel like you might know what's going to happen no I, I have no idea what's going to happen in this story I know Bioware are very good at that but and this is going to sound dumb I feel like I've seen all those textures and enemy designs before mm. well I think if it is the thing is from what I, the impression I get the appeal of Inquisition is that it's got like a really rich really satisfying story and I think that like it sounds like you're at a stage in terms of what you get from games now that you're not as interested in that, which is fair enough because like that, the stories are often better told elsewhere. I get that, but it's like because I really like Pillars of Eternity and that's another game I really want to go back yeah. to. But that wasn't enough for you that like just having story stuff and maybe it just wasn't your flavour. No, you, you don't know get what? on with Obsidian. Do I you? do not Pillars of Eternity. I did play and I did really enjoy and I like. <laughs> Sorry, that was a really long. <laughs> no, no, it's it's totally great. Um, I feel like if I am playing a game for story then that's great. I have. I would love to play Inquisition for story. My problem, and I started feeling this a lot during Mass Effect 2 and 3, is why am I doing all this subpar shooting stuff yeah, again? Yeah, that's the thing. And like, I get that that's a really unfashionable opinion to have, but like, I love to pieces every single moment when I'm making decisions and running the uh, ship. I've got the name of it, which is bad. Normandy? The Normandy in oh, Mass Effect, so when I feel like a captain. It's, it's incredible. I love that But spaceship. that's not what you're doing for about, like what, 75% of Mass Effect? 75% of Mass Effect, you're... Running to and from quest vendors, or you're in a fight. That's why you put did it on I, easy mode. Did I, but you still have to go through that. Sorry. Sorry. Did, did I tell either of you? I must have done this on the podcast before. I always forget. But what happened when I came back to Mass Effect Two? It was eighty percent finished. I had not played it for three years. And oh, eighty percent is probably the suicide mission, isn't it? It was basically before that, right? Yeah, because I it remember. Was like, yeah, it was before that, and I didn't play it for literally three years. And I thought I better finish it off. I'm like ten percent away from the end. I'll just finish it. And I loaded it up, and I was standing with four people I did not recognise <laughs> in a corridor with a bunch of guys and I'm like do we shoot these we shoot these guys alright we're shooting these guys and then like um, I, and I, who's the who's the um, the woman with the gas masky oh Tia Maria Tia Maria Tia so Tia Maria was I, mean, I was in the mission I was in the middle of a, her like you know personal mission about oh, yeah. something That's to do a with good her mission father as well. Talia is it? Talia. Talia. It was no, something no. To... it's Tia Maria <laughs> it's Tiara? It was... Tia Maria Jesus Christ come on tell it was something to do with her father and I had no idea about any of it I'd like, <laughs> forgotten all of it and basically we, you were like Shepard had a stroke yeah and then we got back to Normandy I'm like who are 
are all these people? And I was going around the Normandy like, this is cool. There's another room in here. And everyone's like, what? I can imagine just everyone on the ship being like, what the fuck is wrong with Shepard today? That is- and I was kind of going around. I couldn't remember who I'd slept with. I was like, <laughs> did I sleep with you? Did I sleep with you? Have we, are we, did I brush you off? And there was that girl, Kelly, at the... Um, it's Kalua. At the Kalua. <laughs> She was like, girl, Kalua, and the, at the deck, and she was like space. flirting really heavily with me. And I'm like, I must have slept with you. I'm pretty sure we must have slept with you. And I, it was like a really interesting experience going back with like, Amnesia Shepherd. It was so fun. <laughs> to get everyone on the ship to fill in a, a questionnaire. <laughs> <laughs> on a scale well, of one to ten, someone has infiltrated the ship. <laughs> on a scale of one to ten, how much have you had sex with me? On a scale of one to ten, did we bang? <laughs> uh, it was great. I had people so writing fun. Y in the like box number. <laughs> just being like, just all these people I didn't recognise in the middle of a real important story mission that has something to do with someone's deep familial past and I just said I was just like okay cool let's go down this corridor you want to hack that great that's why I feel really excited to be getting back into Witch 2 and getting past the bit that I've got up to up loads of times being like oh there's, there's more stuff so did you? So you've made the call now as to whether to join with the humans or the elves yeah now I'm in uh, dwarfy dwarf land oh I didn't play now. that I played with the humans ah because uh, yeah it's two sides of the different um, two sides of the battle. same battle yeah which uh, no I, I went with the elves because I, the, I human, like the, the elves the human the uh, human what I really appreciated of the uh, history nerd alert. What I really appreciated about the war camp with the humans is um, of, <laughs> a lot of the time with um, with games like the Dragon Age is guilty of this. It's like you have one area which is like the camp where the army set up before the battle and it's nice tents and then maybe there's some soldiers over there. It's like there is no mind really put into the ungodly logistical effort it takes to to have an army. Yeah. And The Witcher 2 actually nails it. If you yeah, side all with, the lines and all the... Yeah, if you yeah, side with really the humans, good. it's just endless muddy tents. And then there's the train of, like, uh, civilians who obviously are just, like, merchants who travel with the army, selling them, like, you know... This was real. Obviously, armies in the medieval ages... Medieval ages? Travelled with a massive train of, like, prostitutes and people who would keep up gear and God knows what else. Yeah. And The Witcher 2 actually thought about what would... It'd be like living with an army. And it's, it's, well, the Game of Thrones does that too. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty good on the whole, like depicting what actual war is like. Because basically, two books of the Game of Thrones books are just a war is going on. And that's the whole like war is ravaging the whole. And it, oh, and do you mean the books or the games? Uh, the books. Oh right, yeah. I read the games the books. don't do it. Like, I read the books. The books do it, and the TV show does it. The game hasn't done it yet. But yeah, I love that kind of, you know, like the there's almost a trench system in the practically in um in 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 in, uh, in some of the Westeros battles going on like it's just there's all this shit going on yeah. it's crazy it's enormous and everything takes 3 months to get anywhere oh god speaking of which i loved um i'm actually doing a i've got this new video series called cogwatch where i look at mechanics in detail and um, i like it it's very good you should watch it oh thanks and people at home should watch it too yes. it's a new one on durability in the long dark going up tomorrow and why durability works in that game and is a piece of shit in other games um but i'm doing my next one on life is strange and generally like dilemmas in which is this new hot mechanic that all games are using ever since like Bioware made, popularized it in KOTOR and Mass Effect but um, uh, Banner Saga has horrific decisions and representations of uh, when you're leading your army from place to place yeah because all the characters in that whoever you're controlling have like you know however many hundreds or thousands of men and just really 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 awful decisions you have to make on the road and interesting decisions because there's often no correct answer but do we leave these people behind like yeah we've got X many injured people and we're being chased. Do we leave them behind? Banner Saga was great. I actually, I, I still, I probably will make a video about the Banner Saga at some point because there is a sequel coming and it's it's an interesting game that's worth talking about. It is frustrating though because it does kind of fudge a lot of stuff and the fact that what annoyed me most about the Banner Saga was just when I felt like I was actually getting really into it, it was over and it kind of ends with a big cliffhanger and I'm just like, no, I'm just into this. Was that, are they so making a sequel? It. They are. I got confirmed recently. Okay. Yeah. Banner Saga is another example of a game where I was driven away by staggering beautiful storytelling character design uh, dialogue decision making and then a game that was attached because you have to have a game yeah and the problem is the game isn't actually that good yeah. uh, and um, it just starts to fall apart a little bit when you just when you start getting bored of the combat it sort of ends and also you realise that it's kind of annoying in the fact that you have this meta game of trying to keep up supplies and keep morale up and stuff and just at the point at which you feel like you might start to see consequences for that going a bit shaky, the game ends. Yeah. And it just you just sort of feel like actually it's kind of done the job in the same way that the Walking Dead games do the job of making you feel like there are more um, like important things going on than you know about. But it gives you that sense of that kind of like sprawling sense of things. But then everything wraps up really quickly. I don't know. It's really good. I had a really weird bug in the Banner Saga actually, where one of the characters died in one of the little bits in between, where I made a choice and it, yeah. it went wrong. And they came back, and I just lost the character. Yeah. But then, like for some reason, my iPad crashed or whatever, and then it did this weird thing where, like, I was 
back like I done I've been on past that and then done some more stuff and then uh, ended up like being like back before that character had died <laughs> but um, weird but but with all of my like equipment and all of my character roster of the bit when I was further ahead so then it got this bit and it was like hang on a minute this is the bit where that guy dies and I look in my roster of characters and I don't have him anymore so it's like oh really so this character's being like oh I can I'm gonna stop this from happening and you have the opportunity to go no don't do that and I was like what happens if I save his life here and I saved his life and he still wasn't in my body and oh, it was like, oh. that's very but weird. then it meant I got like it kind of made the game too easy because it kept giving me like rewards I'd already got so I was just like doubling up on everything and being was like it? this is that thing of like almost a glitch of being like you must take this magical sword my son you're like Cool. <laughs> I'll put it with my other one. <laughs> was it the bit... There's a decision in that game that I really like. It's just really simple. So incidental. It's not really talked about before or since. But um, it's where your treasure caravan falls yeah, off the cliff. Yeah, that yeah. is... I, I do want to... Do you, do you play this? No, I haven't played Banner Saga. So I'll ask you the question as the game pitches it. I think you're going to go, oh, that's a bit good. So like, you have a, <laughs> one of the carts in your endless train of carts is just the treasure and loot cart. It is massively protected. But the wheel slips... And it's going off a cliff, and it's rolling off a cliff. And one of the characters in your party, uh, who who is a giant, like he's enormous, okay. grabs one of the handles of the cart, which ox pull, like it's a hell of a thing, with one hand, and grabs a tree with his other hand. So he's between the two, and you have three options to yell out, and it's like, Jesus Christ, let go to him. You can tell him to hang on and look for something to tie it with, or you can run over and help him pull. And anything other than saying, let go right now, he just goes sailing off the cliff with the treasure. Oh, no. And it's great. You lose your giant and your treasure. Yeah, no, it's all gone. But it's such a beautiful moment because... And this is what I love the Banner Saga for. Often games that make you make decisions like, do you want to be this kind of leader or this kind of leader? Banner Saga allows you to just be a leader because part of, part of being a leader is just making those calls and then living with it. Yeah. Because yeah. when the cart travels on after it says, you see that. him go off the cliff and then you, the pit of your stomach sinks and then the game shows you the cart traveling onwards and you're just like, oh... God, and I mean, I've got to say, like, I mean, that's like might be like sound like a major spoiler, but the thing about that game is, it's like it's has a huge cast of characters, and you don't know what's going on. A lot of them, you know, people die and people change all the time, and you're always jumping around between different groups. It's very Game of Thrones esque, so it's yeah. like it's it really gives you a sense of like, and actually, there are some fantastic little twists and turns in that. I won't say anything about, but there were some brilliant bits in terms yes, of like. I, I don't consider it, that a spoiler. It, I consider God knows what else. Does spoiler. it um? So does it play out kind of in real time? Because one one of the things I like about say Game of Thrones and, and The Witcher to an extent having is, to make decisions quickly. No. Yeah. Well, no. The way it's like, oh, uh, the the Martells are on the march, and then there's like nine months before they get there. You know, in that nine month period, a lot of stuff happens, and it doesn't just go they're on the march and then kind of fast forward. Well, the way it works does is, the Banner Saga make you just actually. No. Properly go along with your army, it does, or does it skip? It does the Game of Thrones thing, the games of Game of Thrones thing of having somebody being like, "Oh, we've got a long way to go," and then they have a they'll have a fight, and they'll go, "Oh, we've still got a long way to go before we get there," and then it'll go uh, across okay. the map, and then you'll have a story of some other people, and then next time you see those characters. But it's interesting in how it does it because at first you sort of think, "Oh, it's just going to keep ping ponging back and forth," but then sometimes it doesn't, and sometimes you realize actually like. Like there's bits where like the characters have actually almost progressed and done loads of stuff without you. Yeah, it's and oh, it kind cool. of surprises you of being like, oh, but I thought I was going to be there when we turned oh, up that's there. Cool. And it's very Game of Thrones. It's it's almost like Game of Thrones, but a video game doing the same thing and making advantages of the same technique for the, a different medium. That's good. We're hearing about not just hearing because Game of Thrones you always hear about characters you've read about. It's like, oh, oh my god, what from what I'm reading, I don't know if this character I love is dead or alive. Whereas, uh, uh, whereas with um, Banner Saga, it's very much like. Wait, I should have been the leader of that battle. Did they did they win that battle without me? It's, yeah, and stuff goes on, and there are battles you can't win, and there are things where you have to just like leave. And like it's that, really the cool. fighting retreats in that game are so exciting. Again, video games very rarely like yeah. let you be a, the commander of a losing army. Yeah, and just yeah. Like, it's not perfect. I can't, like, um, I can't remember what game this was. It was when I was a kid, but it was a war game, and I just spent like months trying to sort out World War One, just try, <laughs> trying to make it so that millions of people didn't die and so that like I, I mean I'm trying, trying something like the Battle of Verdun not the Somme but Verdun one of the other ones one of the, 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 one the, of the one other that was really worse than ones. the Somme yeah the Verdun, oh, let me Verdun just was, try just, and sort out yeah, World War and I'd be sitting there like, I was like 11 and what I'd just be obsessively like right how can we make this battle not the worst and and sometimes I just couldn't do it you know I'd, I'd, the wow. millions would die and I'd be like man and uh, those are the really uh, weirdly those are the really fun decisions in games where it's yeah. not like 
Walking Dead. There's no right answer sometimes. Yeah, Telltale games are often, you know, there's no correct answer. It's Mm -hmm. what kind of ethical quandary do you want? But often it's, it's not really about making two bad decisions. It's trying to make a good decision in a terrible situation. Yes, quite. The nice thing about the Banner Saga is it's just there's there's there is like a common foe, and it is people fighting against a common foe. But there's also a lot of political unrest between different groups, and the fact that you control characters from deep different ones. And you grow attached to all these characters, and it doesn't really make you ever explicitly choose like which side you're going to be on. But it, you're always leaning one way or another in terms of how you behave and in terms of like how you treat people. And it's this thing of like you're kind of this weird floating. You do feel like a floating entity of being like, what am I looking after here? Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It does do some. Also, the one problem though, actually, is it ties into the kind of the the, the game element. Is the way it has this thing where you can buy, you can upgrade your characters by leveling them up, and you can buy trinkets for them and make them better and it has all this stuff but then because you're constantly changing between characters and because you have this system where like you I can't remember how it works if either you share the currency I don't think you do I think you, you have separate uh, currencies no, think, for different yeah, groups you do, yeah which is a weird thing because you, you buy equipment for a character and then you never use them in a yeah again. and then yeah you buy equipment for a character then you might not use them for like hours or like what I ended up doing was I ended up saving up a lot of my currency so I could buy a good piece of equipment and then the game is over oh it god it's like it's so weird playing Pillars of Eternity now and remembering all the stupid like all the old muscle memory of stuff I did in Baldur's Gate like I don't want you in my party I'm taking your trousers your sword <laughs> <laughs> and then saying bye it's, I love doing that in the first Baldur's Gate though when you meet the evil necromancer and the other oh, dude yeah. the first thing I always got them to join my party and then went into the customization and made it so they were both wearing bright pink and then just left them there at the crossroads again being like <laughs> actually I've changed my mind <laughs> and then just left them there standing being evil and ominous in their bright pink <laughs> outfits that was the only thing that I always did I never got much further than that that game was harder than balls Ball, um, that's why it was harder than balls Gate. harder than Baldur's Gate um, but that seems like a nice time to, to wrap it up um, for this week's this week's that's good that means game palaver we're wrapping it up I can go home and play more cities skylines oh, that well, looks like such a soothing game is it soothing I tell you what it's not just soothing it's it, there's a reason everyone's talking about it it's really 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 good yeah I, I just, want I'm to look, play I've, it. I've seen a lot of really beautiful soothing gifts of lovely road systems oh, man, I, spent like, like, I just want to build that it's I just build lovely it, roads. it really I, th- I believe I don't think I'm wrong in saying that the designer made public transport sims and like good fun ones uh-huh. and then they just knock the city sim out of the park because clearly they're an incredibly talented bunch of people but you can tell because actually the most fun thing to do in it just by coincidence is traffic roads buses and metros and trying to solve that problem and going I'm going to have to bulldoze half my city to get this road planning permission sorry I'm going to evict you from your lovely mansion and just Plow it into the ground. Yeah, I really want to try it because I love. I was so disappointed by SimCity. Well, see, I loved SimCity. I'm it. a sucker. I really. Sim I knew City five. It, uh, the the most recent one, whatever it was, the one that was just SimCity, and everyone hated it, and every, and I quite liked it, and almost got burnt alive for that. <laughs> um, but I mean, it wasn't perfect. There were lots of things wrong with yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't the worst game in history, like some people. Were I really it, liked it. I, probably I just played it to the edge of my city, and I was like, oh, I can't go anywhere. I'm just well, just I oh, in it. Skylines that happens, but then you can spend money to just buy another similarly sized plot of land in any direction oh see that would be nice just that would be nice uh, yeah be I nice. really want to play it I'm, I'm basically at the moment I'm trying to play through a bunch of video yeah. stuff I need to do well I think hopefully... it being Paradox publishing it I think they're going to expand the shit out of it so I think this oh, is yeah. a game where the longer you wait the more life absorbing it's going to be when you come to it and I think you'll be able to do a really interesting piece comparing maybe SimCity and um, and this and talking about why one works and the other doesn't and the main thing that's a really good idea small thing like it's full of tiny touches, and this is the thing that I didn't know going into it. Anytime you make a change to your city, um, you get happy faces or frowny faces that appear from the from the point where you make the change, rippling outwards, just like if, real life, yeah. as if you just like real life when you when you remove a bus stop and then everyone around you frowns. Just like real life. But it's huge because it's got that kind of uh, don't be put off by this, but like that kind of like farmvillian mobile uh, UX design of just. I've done something and it feels great. Like when you when you put down a park and everyone for about a mile just smiles. Oh man! <laughs> like that's why it's this, more. This in. sounds like I might just be locked in a room. Oh dude! With it I, in, I tweeted in a, in a more beautiful reality. I tweeted today that I, I started playing it and then didn't shower for two days. Like <laughs> to get my work done and play City Skylines, showers went out the window. Well, that's what I was like with with Sim City. I I got really into it because I, I see that I've talked about this in the podcast before, so I'll keep it very brief. But what I did was I finished my city and it was enclosed as much as you could, and that was like okay, well, this is my nice city with all the education, and I was like. 
Now I'm going to make this idea that just mine's coal. <laughs> social division. And, and that's the thing is, I like the way that it emphasised social divisions. And I, like, I think it was a very political game. Yeah. I think it really was, and that's what I loved about it. Is especially living in London, and I was thinking about that a lot of the time because I was living in a, quite an impoverished area of London, and I really liked the 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 theme of, and I, I wonder how intentional it was, but I love the theme of there's not quite. enough space. Yeah, yeah. Which means where's the shit going to go? Yeah. Who, which one of your cities is going to just be, have a shit time and get taken yeah. advantage of by everyone else? Who, who's <laughs> going to live next to the shit? Yeah. Basically. Who's living next to who's Staten Island here who's who's having to <laughs> on top of the giant trash pile you know? and yeah I, I like good. that that idea of being like no the real world isn't like infinite city you can't just have the beautiful neat oh, garbage that, dump it. over I there find, like that's not a, how life works I find city planning really really interesting you know um, one of the founders of IGN did his uh, his degree in city planning. I thought you were going to say SimCity. Because of SimCity, though. Oh, wow. Like, he basically did a whole degree in urban planning because of SimCity. I know so a couple of city planners. Wasn't it? Oh, there was some famous... Oh, this is a useless anecdote. <laughs> Reject. <laughs> Reject. <laughs> Jettison it. Thank you for listening to Daft Souls. Thank you for listening to Daft Souls. Thank um, you. I'm not playing anything until I finish Bloodborne, but then I'm going to check out the bloody city game. Uh, but you should check out Cogwatch, which is a video Oh, yeah, you can find that on Rock Paper Shotgun's YouTube channel. Give that a Google, and there's a little playlist for Cogwatch. We've got four so far. They're only six minutes. Go and listen to me talk very quickly about game mechanics. They're very good. It's very I'm, good. Yep, it really is. I'm I heartily agree. Because I occasionally guys. briefly appear in the background of it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, if you are interested in Bloodborne, do check out my Bloodborne diary system. I know it sounds like a ridiculous thing, but actually uh, they're probably a bit more entertaining than you'd imagine they would be. If people want to um, read your articles, where do they go? Kazan? They go to kotaku.co.uk. The UK version the UK of popular Kotaku. American site, Kotaku. It's very good. It's almost the same, but there's more British on it. <laughs> sounds good to nice. me. Yeah. And finally, <laughs> this is episode 40 of Darth Souls. I realised today that we've been doing Darth Souls for just over a year now. Really? Right. Yeah. And in wow. that time, we have had 500,000 listens. Wow. Uh, Good Lord. Which is half a million, which is incredible for a podcast because nobody listens to podcasts anymore. Um, <laughs> I think so, they do, you know. I, I, think, well, I think they do. I listen to a bunch, but um, then I am old now. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> While you're doing your gardening. Yes, exactly. We are all old now. <laughs> This is the way. But no, I just wanted to say thank you very much um, to all of you who are listening at home because, uh, yeah, we, we, we have a lot of fun doing it and uh, it's a real pleasure. That's huge, guys. Thank you. So thank you. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.